Welcome, everybody, back to America's Game, episode number 19. I am your host, Eric Vanek. You can find me on Twitter, at Eric Vanek NFL. And I am once again joined by my co-host, Scott Connor. Scott, what's going on, man? We got a good episode for you, uh, everybody, this week. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, for sure. Been looking forward to this one for a couple weeks. Uh, set this one up about a month ago. Uh, I'll introduce our guest here in a second, but I uh, wanted to find out when uh, the next mock draft was, and we lined up the episode to come out during the same week. So we're getting to the end of the college season. Uh, the values on the 23 picks and slash Debbie players have been quite up and down, I will say. Uh, and I think we're also at the the most critical point of the season for people to decide, do they want to trade their 23 picks? Because uh, I'm starting to see in a lot of leagues, it's like we're starting to really see uh, the the moves on both sides. You know, people wanting to go after picks, uh, people wanting to trade their picks. Uh, and we'll talk maybe a little bit about some of our projections earlier in the year on the 23 class and how some of that's come to, to fruition and some of it hasn't. Uh, but let's jump right into it. Glad to be back, man. Episode 19 and uh, ready to rock. Yeah, same here, man. And like you said, we're going to be talking draft tonight. We got a, uh, a special guest with us this evening. It is Shane Hallam. You can find him on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam. Uh, but yeah, Scott, this was your idea, so I'll let you uh, run it. Yeah, I mean, and the, the reason I wanted to have Shane on is Shane is a dynasty player, a really smart dynasty player. He is in the streets playing fantasy football, but he's also somebody that I trust from an NFL draft perspective too. And Shane and I have podcasted before. He came on Dynasty and Chill multiple times. Uh, he even came on Chasing the Helmet, talked about some stuff with us on there. But uh, I like having somebody – you get a lot of mock draft information, and then you also get a lot of like Dynasty ADP. And it's trying to reconcile somebody that kind of has a scope for both and where they're coming from. And I know this isn't specifically geared toward dynasty. He's trying to, you know, talk about the specific NFL draft. I'll let him explain his process a little bit more, but it's cool to take that data and translate it to like, if this were to happen, what, what would that look like for dynasty? How would be looking at it from a lens of where players go, what the overall class looks like from each position. So Shane, welcome, man. Welcome back to uh, another show with me and uh, first time with Eric. So thanks for being here. No, thank you guys, Eric. Nice to meet you. And then Scott's always a pleasure. I always appreciate the kind words because you're definitely one of the best fantasy players I know. So uh, I'm always excited to come on. But yeah, you know, at, at Draft Countdown, I've, I've been trying to step up the NFL draft game and, and doing the Debbie Marketplace stuff, uh, doing, you know, the, the fantasy and dynasty and Debbie side. So I, it's nice when it kind of comes together and starts coming together like this late in the college and NFL season. So I'm excited to talk about uh the seven round mock I, I did. And, um, you know, it was, it was a tough one. A lot, a lot of thought, a lot of work, but uh, I think it came out pretty good. Yeah. I mean, and for everybody that wants to pull it up, we'll link it in the episode, but it's draftcountdown.com. Uh, there's a mock draft that's just been updated a couple days ago, uh, full seven round mock draft. And uh, it's something that you've put out. What is this your fourth one that you've put out this season thus far? Yeah, fourth one this college season. Um, I think I had one over the summer that was kind of the the preamble, if you will, of trying to throw darts. So, um, but yeah, it's the fourth seven round 2023 mock. Yeah, I did a uh, Dynasty and Chill Patreon episode back in July with one of your mocks that you had over the summer and just basically took that and said, okay, what if the 23 class shakes out like this? 
And then I remember, you know, some of the names that were there that are nowhere to be found now. And then players that are in there in the first round and you're going, they weren't even in the first mock. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy how quickly sh- things change, but check out the mock. But let me just start with this question. Talk about how you come up with this, what your objectives are. I mean, obviously, we're going to turn this to a dynasty conversation, but talk a little about your process of coming up with a seven-round mock, and what are your objectives here? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I think it changes depending on where in the season I'm doing it. When we're kind of in the middle right now, we're in the middle of it, and things are changing rapidly, whether it be player, you know, evaluations and what, how they're playing on the field college-wise. And then the draft order, what NFL teams need, how successful they are. Right? I mean, that's changing every week. You know, so for me, it becomes a lot of, uh, you know, I want to really try to identify player value. You know, my goal with some of these early mocks is to help myself go through the process so that my later stuff is more accurate and, uh, and better that way. So when I see guys rising up boards, falling down boards, well, what, what really draft rate, what does rising mean? Does that mean going up to round two, going up to round one? Um, you know, what going up two picks, what does that mean? So uh, my goal ultimately is to try to get ranges for players that I feel like they can fall into more so than say team fit. Um, you know, it's, I think it's difficult at this point when I don't know if a team is going to be picking third, going to be picking seventh. You know, this mock is the, the current order when I, when I made it, it's all going to change in a week. So I try to figure where, where can these players kind of go uh, and, it doesn't always work out that way when you're still trying to make those teams fit in. So, but I think that's what people want to see, you know, what running back is going to be available if I'm picking late in the first, you know, what, what, what uh, defensive end edge player is going to be there in the middle of the second when my team needs one. And I think that's what people are really looking for at this point. And so that's usually where I'm straying, make some t- teams fans mad. They're like, this draft's horrible for my team. Yeah, that's not, I'm not trying to make the perfect Kansas City Chiefs draft. You know, that's not going to help you right now. What's going to help you is to see where players are being valued by the NFL at this moment, and we can adjust from there. So two questions for you. This one's one that I've always wondered for the last couple of years with, and I know, I mean, you have your own site. There's, at this point, there is, there are sites that are their whole entire site plan is built around gathering as many mock drafts as they can and putting that all together and being like, here's our data, you know, like their sites built on that. How much do you think this type of stuff that now that there's tons and tons of people putting out this type of content, how much do you think it actually influences teams? Cause I've heard some people speculate that there are more teams than you think that actually pay attention to what maybe not like, every single mock draft on Twitter or whatever is saying, but that they might be influenced with some of the, 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 the big NFL draft people's mock data and their projections more than we want to think. We think it's all organic coming from teams like, okay, that, that they're all coming with their own seven round mock drafts and they're doing all of this stuff themselves. When in reality, maybe they're not. How much do you think the teams are pulling from, other people out there that are doing it for him. Just a curious question. If you don't have a good answer, that's fine. But it's always just fascinated me. No, I, I think it happens because I think it's easy. Look, scouts and GMs and everyone in between, are they're humans. They're going to Google, you know, NFL draft and they're going to look like, right? I mean, you know, you're going to do that when you're in the industry. I think you're going to want to do that. And, you know, they'll pull names or they'll be like, you know, they'll really track who who is good. I think they know who knows their stuff and who doesn't. And uh, especially people that have been doing it for a while, they're, they're going to kind of figure that out. And that's who they're attuned to. Um, the other thing I, I know that teams 
right? Certain uh, national guys or beat writers, you know, they know if they're attuned to certain teams or have insiders in certain teams, right? So, you know, I look, I might look at Peter Schrager for the Baltimore Ravens. Maybe that's where he's accurate. You know, I, I want to see what he's mocking to them. I think teams do that. I think they know who lines up with whom, and that helps. Because if you look at some of the videos a couple years ago of Matt Roll, Carolina Panthers, I mean, they went down the list. Here's every pick before us, right? The day before the draft, they were spot on. They knew who was going. You know, they knew before the draft happened who was getting drafted. You know, so I, I think it happens, but I think NFL teams know, you know, a lot more. And I think they talk to each other a lot more than we think. I, I think there's a lot more influence on the lower level of scouts going to the senior bowl. You see them, they're friends. Like they're, they're going to, you know, spill the beans a little bit. Um, not the super secrets, but. Yeah, they they know where guys are going to go. It's not like a big secret ultimately. So, um, yeah, I think there's some influence. I don't think it's a ton, but I think they're seeing them. So, what do you think about some of the 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 big national analysts that put out? You know, every once in a while they put out their mock draft or their most recent mock draft. But to me, there's always a difference between like someone like yourself that's coming up and putting this together through your own organic way. Like you were literally, you listen, I listened to your podcast on draft countdown and you're literally, you guys talk about, you know, the 15 games you're going to watch, you know, you're going to watch this player and this player and this player. But then you look at some of these other like national analysts and you, you know, they're probably not doing that same level of analysis and work. So how much do you think of, of some of their mock draft data is put together literally from stuff that they're hearing from people? <clears throat> They're hearing from teams. It's not even like I've never even watched these players, but I'm pretty sure I've talked to five people and they're all convinced like someone's going to take this guy in the first round. So I have to put him in the first round, even though if I really have nothing to back that. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, the the Huddle Report does a mock draft contest. They've done it uh, since 2001 for a long time, you know, that, that I'm a part of. And, and most of the top analysts, they put their mock drafts in there. And usually the, the, the big, big, you know, ESPN, NFL.com guys, it's not very accurate. You know, they're not that good. Right. And so I, I think that's the thing is, yeah, I think you can hear this about where this guy is going, but it becomes really hard to then place him exactly where he's going. You know uh, I think that's the tough part. Um, I think there are some good like national writers there get home Yahoo sports and um, you know, that, that have done that, that do both, you know, do the work and how are in tuned. And I think those are the guys to listen to more than, you know, some of the, the talking pieces on TV. I, I don't think people are like talking out their ass or anything, but I just think a mock draft is different than um, just this, this player has buzz or this player's going in the first round or this team likes this player. It, it's a different, you can like a player, not draft them, you know? So I think it's just a different experience. So how much changes between right now, because we still haven't had who's going to declare who's not. We still haven't had who's going to opt out bowl performances. We haven't had the senior bowl. We haven't had the combine. How much would you say can change between just from a percentage perspective between now and when we actually get to like, you know, the weeks leading up to the draft where pretty much everything's done. Pro days are done and all of that. How much would you say can change between now and then? I think, I think a lot can change. Um, and it's not necessarily that we're going to get a, a ton of new information. We have a couple of college games left, the bowl games playoff. We're obviously going to have, like you said, we have the all-star game, senior bowl combine um, where we do get information, but you know, I, I don't think a ton is going to, there's going to be this overwhelming change. Um, you know, the issue is you can have a guy drop from maybe 
what I think would be a mid first round pick to a third round pick, right? Or someone has a disastrous combine, a Jalen Watermeyer combine, well, you're you're out. You know, that that stuff happens. I mean, I'll be happy if I if this this mock that we're gonna talk about in my first round hits over 50% of those guys go in the first round. That might sound like, wow, that's pretty bad. Hey, it's I think it's it's tough to get above 70% the, the day before. And then, you know, here you're going to have players not declare. You're going to have guys, a guy that I have going at 29 goes to 35, right? You know, that happens too. So I think we're going to have some changes. There's going to be some areas where, you know, weakness for me, like I can't watch every player. Uh, you know, I have a full-time job. It's It's impossible. Um, I, I miss guys and we, we get that buzz a little bit later on and go back and watch like, yeah, I missed it. You know, there's going to be two of those players that go in the first, second round. Um, but you know, a, a lot of times I think we're starting to get closer and most of these players are probably within two rounds of where they're going to go if they declare and if everything goes workout all-star wise, according to plan. Good stuff. Eric, you got any thoughts or comments on, the process or how Shane kind of comes up with uh, what he does to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I I've looked at draft countdown since I've been in high school. So I've looked at this website for a long, long time because I'm pretty old. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I've always enjoyed your guys's work and, and everything. So I, I enjoy it. The one thing I do have um, to ask is, like you said, you don't have all the time in the world to look at every single guy, um, you know, like these division two guys, like Christian Watson last year, how often do you, uh, get to look at those guys and maybe you can give us some names of division two guys that might, uh, come up and, and surprise us. No, I, it's, it's a good question. You know, I, I think the, the, I think that is a big hole sometimes in, especially in fantasy is people aren't looking at, Oh, you know, the FCS players or this year division two is there is a, you know, there is a decent player there. Um, so for me, it depends. You know, a lot of times I, I, I do have a couple people I super trust on the small school guys that will give, Hey, here's, here's names. And I go watch them. You know, I, I, that's definitely, there's definitely players that got drafted last year um, that I didn't watch. It was a safety, the Colts draft that I hadn't watched, you know, from Ivy league, I think um, that I was like, well, you know, no one gave me his name. I, I, didn't, I didn't do it. Hopefully this year I'm going to have them all. Um, but and sometimes finding the film is tough. Like there's a offensive tackle from Frostburg state. It's probably going to get drafted top 150. Frostburg state, not an easy film to get, you know? Right. So, so it depends. It depends. Sometimes you can find it. Sometimes you can't, um, you know, what, what's nice is usually it's, it's FCS players and you can find that pretty easily. Uh, the guy I've been touting, I, I dropped his name back in June, I think on the Debbie marketplace podcast. Um, and his buzz is, is growing and growing is Andre Yacivas, receiver from Princeton. He's this year's Christian Watson. He's going to go to the senior bowl. He's going to light it up. He was a track guy last year. I watched him and like, this guy's an NFL athlete. He doesn't know how to play a liquor receiver. And this year he's put that together and just dominating um, in the Ivy league. And I think if he goes to the senior bowl and has that Christian Watson bump and plays against some of these big time players, like he's, he's going to be a true um, fantasy player. Mm-hmm. And the other, uh, the other division two player is uh, Tyson Badgent, the quarterback at a shepherd has a chance to go maybe round three. Um, we'll see how his off season goes. I think that's going to depend. He could go round three or could go round seven, but definitely a name to keep in mind. Nice. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the, uh, 
the senior bowl stuff because that has been ever since Jim Nagy took it back over. It seems like it's becoming more and more important every year to where it's it, even five years ago. I remember following the senior bowl and it was kind of like, yeah, there's not a lot of I guess maybe we looked at dynasty players a little bit differently back then, but I still always remember the senior bowl being like, man, there's not going to be that many relevant dynasty players that come out of there. What are your thoughts on kind of how they've revamped the senior bowl? Now it's kind of like you, that that's almost something that players, a, I think we're seeing more players eligible the last couple of years because of the COVID rules, but also it seems like there's players that want to go there and it's like a place where you can act players actually want to go and help their draft stock. It just seems like that's changed over the last three to five years. Do you feel the same or what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's improved. I mean, I, I went down there um, uh, back in 2011, 2012, 2013, and, you know, it, it was good, but you did have a lot of players opt out. I think um, I think what Jim Nagy's done is really focus on the team connections. You know, um, you know, he's really focused on draft capital. Like he wants to bring in the guys that are going to get drafted highly. <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I think, you know, that's why you see like receivers that maybe we don't talk about in Debbie or dynasty that are going there. And you're like, who are these guys? Right. But they're playing special teams. They're guys that are going to get, you know, Velas Jones going to get drafted high. Maybe they don't work out, but um, yeah, I think that's been the focus more than, let's do some favors for some teams or do some favors for some coaches or, you know, bring in guys we know. Good stuff. Good stuff. So we're going to start from uh, the top and just start talking a little bit about the mock. Uh, We're going to look at this through a dynasty lens and talk a little bit through the class. And I know we're going to kind of go off tangent on a couple positions, I'm sure. Uh, But I want to use the mock as a guide. So we'll start. Uh, from the top, we'll start with where everyone always wants to go with in Superflex is talking about the quarterbacks. So, Shane, you have four quarterbacks going in the first round. Uh, to yeah. me, I, historically, I've done the research on draft capital and quarterback opportunity in the NFL. Typically, if you want a guy that's going to be given a legitimate shot to start, meaning like not guaranteed to start, but the team probably took you in a range where it's like, at some point we want to give you a window to start to see if you could be a future starter. Um, I, I usually am looking at like top 40 to top 50 quarterbacks. And if you're in that range, then I think the teams that are taking a quarterback in the early to mid part of round two might say, we have to give that guy at least a four to eight game look at some point to see if they're maybe the future starter. So let's just talk about quarterbacks to start. You have four in the first round. They've been covered ad nauseum. I don't think the four names you're going to say are shocking to anybody, uh, but it, it, it is interesting to see, you know, like you still have Will Levis going in the top 20. And he's, obviously I'm a Kentucky fan, but he's one of the most, polarizing prospects because like it nobody likes him nobody thinks he's good he's had a pretty bad season relative to I think what expectations were yet it seems like every week you have somebody from what you were talking about before big draft media or somebody inside the NFL that's going like yeah we still love this guy we're still going to draft him so he does feel like one of those guys that could either completely bomb and just nobody likes but also feels like 
he, he probably still going to go in the first round, but everybody's going to hate him. Everyone's going to be convinced he sucks. So what's your just thoughts on the quarterback class in general and just kind of talk through the four names you have in there? Yeah, look, I still think it's a, it's a good quarterback class. I, I do, and I think there's some potential for some guys to to move still move up um, over time. So, yeah, I've, I've CJ Stroud, quarterback from Ohio State, going first to the Texans. Bryce Young, quarterback Alabama, going third to the Carolina Panthers. Hennon Hooker, uh, quarterback Tennessee, going 15th to the Washington Commanders. No, Will Levis, like you mentioned, quarterback Kentucky, going 16th to the Indianapolis Colts. You know, I think Stroud and Young are going to – go really high. I think we've known that coming into the year. Um, It's pretty rare for the top two quarterbacks coming into the season to be the top two at the end. I think it hasn't happened in in almost 15 years. Um, So this would be, you know, pretty novel, but I think both have played well enough compared to the rest of the quarterbacks that there's still going to be top picks. Um, And obviously a super flex, like you're talking, they, they should be two of the top three picks. I think Hooker and Levis get interesting uh, because you have a tale of two very different players. Levis, like you mentioned, you know, I, I don't think he's great. Um, and my my general stance is if I don't think the quarterback's great, I don't think the NFL is going to take him that high. You know, last year I was pumping the brakes on a lot of those quarterbacks later, you know, when I was like, look, they haven't played well. Don't expect all these guys to go in the first round. Um and, and that's you know that's what happened. I didn't think they go as low as they did uh, into the third and whatnot. But um, you know, but so so for Levis, I kind of feel that way. I think the thing is, last year was good. I think you go go back and watch Will Levis last season. He was a good quarterback. He has the arm. He has the athleticism, and he plays in an offense that NFL teams are running. So I think if he gets the okay, like. Teams are going to go to to Stoops and say, you know, okay, what happened here? And I think if the explanation is, hey, here it wasn't on him. Here's here's what happened. You know, you, you did, the skill positions aren't there. The young making mistakes. He's trying to do too much. I think teams can overlook that. Um, <clears throat> so I think we could have like a Daniel Jones kind of situation. Maybe he doesn't get that high of draft capital because of the poor season, but we have a player who can be effective in fantasy but never feel great, never feel like he's an all-star and he's going to be a star of your fantasy team. And honestly, those are the guys I like to draft sometimes because they're cheap. <laughs> they're a lot cheaper than the top ones. Uh, I think Hooker is kind of the other end. He's, he's very old. That's the first thing you hear um, and plays in an offense that is not NFL friendly. So I think there is like, is he NF- more NFL ready because he's older or does he need more development because he hasn't played in that offense? That's going to be the question. I think it'll have to be a team that suits their offense to his talents. Um, I, I, w- I would take a guess he could end up being that early second round pick. You know, he could is probably in that 15 to 40 range where you're looking at, you know, Jalen Hurts, those kind of players where now we could sit him for a little bit. But we're going to have to give the shot like you talked about. Um, so I think Hooker has the upside and downside. I think Levis actually pr- probably has a decent floor. And then Stroud and Young are the guys ultimately you have to be in position to get. Yeah, I like that. I've heard that a lot with Hooker is like there's nothing he can do in terms of numbers that he puts up or impressive performances that he has that he's going to be able to overcome the stuff they talk about with the Tennessee offense. And really, I go back to I believe it's the same offense that Oklahoma ran right back when Hypo played in Oklahoma. And it really never it never even 
put forth other than Sam Bradford, it really never put forth any legitimate quarterback prospects from what I remember. Like it, it di- didn't even really have guys where like, ah, once they get to the league, they can overcome it. So it seems like he's going to have to fight that uphill battle no matter what he does. Even if he wins the Heisman, Tennessee wins the national championship, like those things will help his stock. But do you feel like he has a, his ceiling is capped from an NFL draft perspective because there are teams that would be scared to use like a top 10 or higher pick on a guy like that from that type of offense. I I do. I I think it's going to be, I don't know if there's anything hooker can do barring going into the college football playoff and running through Ohio state and running through Georgia and crushing them to get him into the top five. Like, I think that's what it would take Uh, something extraordinary Uh, just because like you said, the, the offense and transition, and we got to put a 26-year-old through that, are we willing to do it? I think they're going to be offensive coordinators. They're going to say, I want that guy. You know, I, I, I'll, let me have him. Let me tailor an offense he, he can run. You go back to Virginia Tech, the, the, you know, he wasn't good there, but the offense he ran was a little more pro-style. Um, so there is tape of him running a pro-style offense. He's done it, not as effectively. So, you know, but I do think the, the upside is limited in terms of draft capital. I 15 where I have him almost feels more towards his ceiling, I think, than, um, you know, than a floor. So regarding Bryce Young, I know there was that picture that circulated of Bryce Young next to Kyler Murray, and he literally looks like half an inch shorter than Kyler Murray and definitely a good 20 to 25 pounds less than Kyler Murray. Is the size stuff with Bryce Young? I I don't want to say it's, uh, it's going to be something he can't overcome, but, I guess I wonder, given that he doesn't have the same mobility as Kyler Murray, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but is that a guy you're skeptical of saying, okay, I want to take at the 102 in a dynasty draft because of those things? Does that worry you at all? Do you think NFL teams will be worried about that at all, given how little he is? I I think you're going to have some teams worried about it. I think some teams are not going to be. like Ultimately, the, the film, the toughness, is there. I think getting hurt this year and then coming back um, almost immediately from the injury, it was probably good, you know, to show he has some of that resilience. He's not, he can't just be broken. He's taken a ton of big hits this year. Alabama's offensive line's not great. Um, and, you know, he's shown a lot of moxie in terms of toughness. But I do think there's going to be teams that say, I still don't want that. You know, there's still some old school, maybe, you know, you don't need a 6'4 quarterback anymore, but like, let me at least have him be six feet tall, six one, you know, let me at least have that. Um, So that's why I think CJ Stroud is still going to go above him in the NFL draft. I I just think it's a much safer bet. I think for me, I really want to see where he goes. Who's the coaching staff? What's the culture? Like, I think it's going to be really important that you have a team that builds around him and not tries to fit him into what they're doing. So um, he, you know, I, I, I know it's kind of a cop out to be like, wait and see, but you know, I think I do want to kind of wait and see what's the situation because we, you know, we've seen. I think we've seen plenty of good NFL players ruined by bad coaching staffs, bad situations, especially a quarterback. I think Bryce Young could go. Can, can you build an offense where you can use his skill set? I think he has some of the best ball placement in this draft, probably the best. Um, and if you don't, then he, and he gets broken behind because you just want to run him like a pro quarterback. That's going to be a problem. So um, I, I have faith in him. But I think you can be a little bit skeptical if he goes somewhere that doesn't have a track record of success. So over the last five weeks, Justin Fields is seventh in the league in EPA per play, which is 
a good measure of like passing efficiency. And we know he's breaking fantasy on the ground is what we're seeing from Justin Fields, helping CJ Stroud a little bit in terms of perception. Do you think? I think it is. And I, I know I say it and other draft analysts say it, like, don't scout the helmet. Right. And it's important. You can, we can say, Oh, that was, wasn't a Texas tech quarterback to Patrick Mahomes or Michigan quarterback to Tom Brady, whatever It's true. But once again, we're human. We, we have biases. NFL teams have major biases that ruin them. I, I think teams would have been a lot more skeptical. Justin Fields was a complete bust this year. Like, wow, you know, do I really want this? Um, and I think right, the rushing helps because CJ Stroud, he's not Justin Fields athletically, but he can run and he does not. Brian Day does not want that quarterback to run the football at Ohio State. He doesn't want to risk it. So I think that there is a, a skill there for CJ Stroud that's not that's kind of locked up. Um, and teams are saying, look, Justin Fields can do it. He didn't do it that much at Ohio State. Uh, Stroud can be that player too. Uh, maybe we can use that to our advantage. So I think there'll be a little bit of concern, but ultimately because no one else has risen up in this quarterback class, I think that puts Stroud as you know the likely number one overall or number two overall pick in the draft. You have a couple other quarterbacks that are going uh, off the board on day two. Uh, so you have, and I think this might be a little bit of a, a hedge your bets pick. You have Anthony Richardson going in the third round. I've always kind of said Richardson's either going to be you know, a, a first rounder or he's back in college. It explain your Richardson placement. Cause it feels like if I'm him and I think I'm going to go in the third round, shouldn't I go back to school? And should I consider maybe even transferring from where I'm at? I, I talk through Richardson cause he's fascinating. And I would love for a super flex selfish purposes. I want to see him in this class, but I also don't want to necessarily reconcile with Anthony Richardson in this class, but he goes in the mid round three. Cause then you're like, people will take him in the first round of a dynasty draft. And it's like, you know, that's bad process if he goes in the third round. So talk Richardson. So I don't think he's playing a Florida next year. That's the one thing I, I, know, I feel like I know. For I love sure, it. Right. So it's, he's either going to the NFL or he's going somewhere else. I think he's done with this, you know, Napier system. It's been bad for him. Um, <clears throat> three weeks ago, I think I tweeted of all the draft eligible quarterbacks I've watched over a hundred of them. Anthony Richardson had some of the worst ball placement I, I've seen like the worst. I'm watching D2 guys that are better ball placement than you do. That's bad. Um, he's gotten better. These last three weeks have been better. Not great. So, you know, I, it, so my my process here was, okay, let's say the season ended today. He declares for the draft. Where does he go? I don't think a team can Jalen Hurts him in the top of the second and say he's an athletic Marvel and freak. Great arm. Let's take him and see if we can just fix him. But I think round three, like we saw last year, is where teams are going to start to say, Malik Willis, all right, you know, it's worth the risk. It's worth the upside to, to draft this player. I think if Anthony Richardson, um, you know, would would declare, would have an offseason where he shows some promise, works with the quarterback coach, good in private workouts, second round is a possibility. And then we start to talk about, okay, now you can start to draft him in the first round, right? He's going top 50. Uh, it's interesting. I think your downside is there too. If he's shows some, some, uh, and I don't know if there's character issues or anything, but that he, he kind of quit on the team or that he's not working at this, you know, he could fall out of a draft. I'm hoping he transfers. I, I kind of would like him to go to your Kentucky Wildcats, to be honest with you. Um, I think it would be a good spot to work in a more pro, pro style offense and maybe get some of that experience. Um, but if he does declare for this draft right now, I, I think 
I think he'd still be a top 100 pick, but not quite high enough to where you'd want to take him in, you know, in the first round of a super flex draft. Yeah. And then the last one you have is Michael Penix going in round three as well. Uh, would he be the one or throw out any other names that uh, of players we could be talking about in four to five months in super flex drafts right around combine time going like, man, this guy could be a, you know, last year we saw it with, you know, a couple of the guys that rose up late to where it was like, man, you know, Kenny Pickett kind of came on late and all of a sudden we were talking about four or five quarterbacks going maybe in the first round. And then of course they all fell out. Any names on the radar that you maybe don't have in the mock, but you could see like if this, if this guy declares finds the right person to kind of hype up the PR machine goes to the senior bowl, I think will help. Uh, anybody you could see like jumping all of a sudden into the top 50 or even the first round that you don't even have in the top three or four rounds right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Michael Penix is, is that guy for Washington. Cause he's definitely had games for us. So that's a first round game. He's had games where that's a fifth round game. And so, you know, compare those things. If he goes to the senior bowl, he has a good senior bowl. Like he could be the guy that gets propelled. I think um, ultimately, um, and I mentioned, I mentioned Tyson badge at the, D2 quarterback Shepard, I think could be a ceiling there being a D2 quarterback, but in terms of like an athleticism, arm strength, having the tool set, it's there that we start talking about day two. Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess Bailey Zappi is a bad example. He went early day three. Um, but, you know, even, even back with like Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, the, those years when we had some of the small school quarterbacks um, getting talked about, I think that could happen outside of that. I think it's kind of tough. Um, you know, yeah, I just don't think there's too much upside. Probably the only other guy I could see getting the buzz is Bo Nix, the quarterback for Oregon, right? Former Auburn five-star recruit who sucked there. But Oregon has generally had a pretty good – he's had a really good season, had you know one bad game in their loss recently on uh, the bad game against Georgia. Uh, but I could see a hype machine for him pumping him up. People, st- you know, we always get that random guy. He could go around one, right? And then he goes in like round four. I think that's Bodix this year. So looking at um, our destination Devi uh, rookie mock draft data that we've come up with, two quarterbacks that we haven't talked about that are pretty high on the uh, list here in the mid third rounds or so, but KJ Jefferson and Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall is one of the ones that I really like. So this is half of this is probably my. ADP that I keep drafting them in the third and fourth round every time. But talk about Jefferson and Jaron Hall. Do you think those two could even come up there a little bit? Yeah, look, I, I like Jaron Hall. He's he's my fifth quarterback. I actually have a spot above Penix. I think uh, he has a higher floor. Um, I think being shorter and coming from BYU, I think it's going to be tough for him to maybe ascend. But I think in terms of a, a future NFL player, Jaron Hall feels pretty safe. That doesn't help us too much for fantasy, but is a name that you know, could pop up with an injury. KJ Jefferson definitely has that upside. You know, he's big, he's athletic, he's he's had a good season. The past couple of games have been brutal. I mean, it's been brutal for him. Uh, some injuries, you know, so he might not be fully healthy. Maybe that's the issue. Um, so I wonder if he declares, if he does, definitely could have that possibility of rising. Um, and he would be a name. Hey, he goes even bottom of the second round, you start to get interested because of that size and athleticism um, that gets interesting. So I, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, bad picks there um, when you're taking those guys third, fourth round of, of rookie drafts. 
Yeah, I think the weird thing with the mock data is you get in some of these mock drafts and you'll see if we're doing a, a four-round rookie mock, you'll see 10 quarterbacks go. And I always look at that and I go, yeah, you know the odds that there's 10 relevant quarterbacks in a class is like less than zero. So once we see like four or five off the board, you probably shouldn't be taking the rest because you're basically saying, you know, when you draft like KJ Jefferson in a mock, he either goes in the top 50 or you wouldn't even want him on a dynasty team. There's no in between. So, but yet I see people taking, you know, quarterback nine over a receiver. I'm like, yeah, that guy's probably going to go in like the top 60. I'd much rather have him than the 2% shot that this, you know, random quarterback jumps into relevant dynasty range. I always think that's interesting. You get into some of these mocks and I don't know if it's the same over a Debbie marketplace's ADP, but it's like you get nine or 10 quarterbacks in the top 40 picks. And it's like, that's just not going to happen. So it, don't look at these mocks and say, oh, you know, I can get this running back in round four. It's like when the real draft gets here, you're not going to have eight quarterbacks that are pushing, you know, this day two running back down into the, you know, the 308 spot. So just beware when you're looking at mock draft data for that, that, that we're going to be lucky if we get four relevant quarterbacks in this draft. They, you know, Levis, Hooker, whoever it is, sticks, and they actually want to be drafted in a, a range where you care about the rookie picks and they're not just dart throws. So keep that in mind. Eric, you want to talk running backs? Yeah, we can get into the uh, the running backs here. There's quite a bit uh, to talk about here. So we'll go, um, you know, with the first one, obviously, B. John Robinson. I actually love this fit, and I think this could really happen in the real draft. So the Arizona Cardinals, they just seem like that team where they just don't care. They'll just take whatever you know, spot is going to help their offense. You know, it's not the ideal pick to help build their roster, you know, a left tackle or a corner, you know, any of these premier spots, but they'll say, Hey, we'll just take the running back and we'll make it work. So I actually love that fit for B. John Robinson in Arizona. And then your other first round running back you have is Jameer Gibbs at the bottom uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles. So, uh, obviously Bijan's been talked about to death and, and Gibbs has too, but what do you see in both of those guys so far? Yeah, but we, we know what Bijan is. We know he's probably the dynasty RB one once the NFL draft happens and, and should be. Um, I think his ceiling is probably Philadelphia's pick that they got from new Orleans top five pick. I think is possible. Something like two, like Saquon Barkley went, seems a little bit absurd, but you know, could happen. And yeah, you know, he could fall to the end of the first. Team's just like, I don't want to take a running back. I don't think it'll happen. I like that middle of the first round, you know, back in top ten seems seems more probable than anything. So thirteen to Arizona. I was like, I, you know, this is a good fit value team. All this kind of lines up. Um you know, I, I think I think the interesting thing with him will be do you take the quarterbacks, you take you take him in Superflex <clears throat> rookie drafts. Uh Jameer Gibbs is interesting because i could see i could see this i could see him sneaking in the back end of the first round we only have 31 picks in the first round this year so we're losing a guy um which might make it tough to fit in a second running back but you know those early second round running backs now it's it's the same thing yeah that's pretty much what you want i think jameer gibbs has shown enough throughout his college career pass catching ability you know the 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 athleticism agility i think he's going to kill the combine to be a, a top 50 pick. The question will be, what's his weight? I've heard some good things that'll come in over 200 pounds. I think if that happens, then, you know, th- then I'm in for fantasy. I think he can be a lead back. He's not going to be at workhorse, but he can be a lead back 
you know, in a system and get you a lot of PPR points. So I think Philadelphia, Miles Sanders moves on, replacing him with Jameer Gibbs would be a really good fit. Yeah, I, I, I'm sitting here looking at the Philly landing spot and saying, okay, it's great that he goes in the first round, but I, I think a lot of people would not like the Philly landing spot simply because like Jalen Hurts is bottom five in the league and throwing to running backs and Jameer Gibbs has 343 rush attempts in his, in his college career. So to sit there and think he's ever going to be used, I don't want to say a workhorse, but I, I almost wonder if that would be one of those situations where you'd go, yikes, like that, this isn't, I, I think he's one of those guys that probably needs a good, efficient offense around him that will allow a lot more plays, a lot more opportunity for him to get targets versus one of these offenses that needs to scheme him as the main player. I, I don't know if that's maybe me just perceiving this as being a negative spot. Sometimes players, when they go to a spot, they can change historically what the team has done because they're a better player than the team's ever had. But I just would look at this spot and be like, yeah, you know, whatever. But right. we don't really care about the the landing spot team specifically right now. Yeah. It's interesting Shane still has Gibbs in the first round because I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, I'm not sure if he's a first-round pick. Uh, but it sounds like you're pretty certain he's he, he'd be your RB2 by a, a decent amount, yeah? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I just don't see an RB3 that's emerged to challenge him this season. Right. I think we had a lot of guys that we like and are still up there, but none of them have blown the doors off. Does that mean, you know, we saw CEH go as the first running back off the board. doesn't mean that Gibbs is the RB2 off the board, right? But I think in terms of talent, I think he's clearly that player right now. Well, here's what excites me, Shane. After Gibbs and Bijan, you have 15 running backs going in the next three rounds. That is dynasty gold because you have, that's now 15 running backs that you're going to be able to say, okay, just based on their draft capital alone are probably worthy of top three round rookie picks, regardless of who they are, if they go and, you know, even last year you had the Brian Robinsons and the Tyrion Davis prices. Like the, as soon as those guys went in round three or round four, you had to draft them in a certain range in rookie drafts, right? You just had to follow a draft capital of a day two or early day three running back. So talk about that. I don't, you don't need to go through every single one. Honestly, for me, and I'll let Eric chime in, I'll let you chime in too. The order of them, especially outside of the top half of the second round, I don't really care as much about the order. Once you get into, you know, late round two to early round four, it almost seems like those guys are just 50, 50, depending on where they land, what their backfield looks like, what the run scheme looks like, what the coach usage looks like, like they're all kind of in the same bucket. So everyone's going to have their preferences, but just talk about the class as a whole, man, 15 running backs in this range. Like if this happens or even anything close, even if we get 10, 11, uh, like we talked about this with 2021, remember how you came on dynasty and chill. And we talked about this, this is going to be a great class just to pick random running backs and hope they hit. Uh, but talk about this class as well. This seems like it's even, it's even better than last year, just in terms of options that dynasty players are going to have to kind of supplement their backfields. Well, I think this is why, you know, when I was on your show in the summer, I said, Hey, this 2023 picks are expensive, but buy them because this is, this is it. Like this running back class is still that good. We still have that many talented running backs. And I think it's aligning when I'm doing this mock draft and I'm looking at, okay, what teams could draft a running back in the top four rounds? I'm only rolling out like five teams. I mean, teams need running backs. They need more. 
Uh, they don't have them. There's not enough good running backs in the NFL right now. So I think both those things coming together makes for a really ripe running back rookie class that could get playing time uh, all the same. And I think you have so many different types of runners. You know, you have the, the smaller, faster outside threats, the Chase Brown from Illinois, the Blake Quorum from Michigan, you know, that I think are going to go higher than people anticipate. But you also have, you know, bigger guys that could be more bell cow, like Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, Tank Bigsby from Auburn, um, that, you know, they get interesting. I think a couple of these guys are going to go back to school, right? I, you know, probably not going to have 15, like you said. Uh, that, that's just how it goes. Um, one of them is a fullback as well. I have going around three. So that might not help us too much. But you know, ultimately, I, I think that's what I'm looking at. Strong class, a strong need. And honestly, for t- 2023 as a whole, from an NFL draft perspective, I know we don't care as much about defense, offensive line. I think there are some depth issues on some of those positions. Not as much at running back, at receiver, um, a tight end. There's really good depth. Uh, So I think that lines up for fantasy owners that we have good depth at skill positions and not so much at some of these other positions. That's good for day two and early day three. Eric, I know – when, when I showed you this, that's what I mentioned to you was, man, look at all those running backs going in that range that fits perfectly when you have the random third round picks and you need to build up those zero and hero RB running back teams. And you're going, okay, give me five of these guys. You know, maybe I hit uh, a Damian Pierce, but maybe I also hit a Pierre Strong. Maybe I hit Tyler Algier, you know, like you're going to hit and miss. I, I think what people miss with a class like this is they look at Shane's mock, they look at these running backs, and then they start factoring in landing spots. And one of the things you're going to hear is there are not 17 teams, and we'll call it 16 because I know you have a fullback in there. I didn't catch that when I initially went through. But there's not going to be 16 teams that people are going to go, they need a bell cow starter. And I push back and I go, I'm not drafting running backs in this range to become bell cow starters, right? I'm not looking for the next Ezekiel Elliott or the next Jonathan Taylor, you know, and even a a level down, I'm not looking for the next David Montgomery type, right? What I'm looking for is if you spend a late second, early third round dynasty pick on like you have Chris Rodriguez, Kentucky guy going in the early fourth, he's going to be the classic. um, I heard Dane Brugler say it the other day on his podcast. He goes, Chris Rodriguez might play in the NFL for 10 years. He'll never have a thousand yards but it'll always be a guy that in one or two games, the team can give like 23 carries. And they're like, he has a purpose. And if you spend, I mean, Eric and I have talked a lot on this show about warp or wins over replacement and what that, what the value of draft picks is. If you get a guy that you draft in the early third or late second, and he's on your dynasty roster for three years, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. He spends his rookie contract on your dynasty roster. If you can start him like six times during that period, you've already exceeded the value of your pick. And I think a lot of people look at a guy goes, oh, well, you know, this running back lands in, I don't know, Cincinnati and Mixon's still there and they give him a contract extension for another year. You're like, oh, he's buried. He's never going to start. It's like, no, actually, there's some benefit of picking the guy like that because all you need to do is know when to start him over a couple years and you've exceeded your value. So I think a lot of times we dismiss good running backs because they don't have spots where they're just going to get 350 touches. It's like, you don't need that. The current running back landscape, you don't need that type. In fact, those are really, really rare. And the ones that fit in that range, you pretty much already know who they are from day one. You know, like 
they're the guys that have been there before, most likely. Like you're not going to find five guys in the NFL draft that have 350 touch seasons probably in their career. So I, I know you have thoughts on that, Eric, but I think that's something that we need to push that, man, you just collect these guys, right? You just collect them and you just let the chips land where they may and be patient. Just because a guy doesn't play in the first eight games of his career doesn't mean he's never going to have use over a rookie contract. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. We've, we talked about that quite a bit. Like early in the drafts, we've talked about it, you know, early in the first, early in your second round picks. Quarterbacks, wide receivers is pretty much what I want to be drafting because the odds that you're ever going to get a quarterback or wide receiver in round three or four or five, whatever your rookie draft goes up to, that ever like hits for you is pretty, pretty low. So all these running backs, I'm just going to keep taking shots at them. Just like we did last year, Zamir White, Ty Chandler, Jerome Ford, Hassan Haskins, the list keeps going on and on. Some of those guys haven't hit yet. Some of them have, you know, your Pacheco's have hit, your Damian Pierce's have hit, you know, but if I, you know, like me, I got a thousand Ty Chandler's and I got a thousand Zamir White's, you know, they haven't hit so far yet, but I'm still holding on to those guys. So I'm going to do that again in this draft, especially with how deep it is again. You know, I'm going to take in the first round, if I'm picking at the back end, I'm probably going to go with the wide receiver or quarterback. And then, you know, rounds two, three, four, five, I'm just going to keep hammering these running backs and just keep taking them because they're going to play at some point. And especially these ones, um, very, very talented running backs all over the place. Um, I mean, I was just kind of looking at some of the, the landing spots here. Blake Corum to Atlanta in round two would be nice. Zach Evans to Carolina. Uh, would be interesting to kind of replace Christian McCaffrey there now. Uh, Devin Achain in Tennessee kind of gives you those maybe Chris Johnson vibes again, you know, with how fast his speed is. That would be kind of interesting. And then Sean Tucker to Kansas City. Like, if Sean Tucker in round two went to Kansas City, he would be a first-round pick. You know how people value these Kansas City players. So he, if Sean Tucker went in the first or uh, second round to Kansas City, I think in Dynasty he would definitely be a first-round pick, don't you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask Shane, do we get a little too cute when we see where all these running backs land and we immediately start assigning, you know, this guy's going to be a stud because it's in this offense or this type of usage? Like, how do you approach it in your Dynasty leagues? Are you a little more <laughs> – do you go against the grain because you've put in all this work and you know a lot more about the the prospects than probably a lot of the people you're playing against? How do you reconcile that when everyone goes crazy over the landing spots after the draft? Yeah, I mean, I, I try not to. It's it's hard. You know, you, you, teams have to score for the running back to score touchdowns. Like like it's helpful, right? But um, we're playing dynasty. It's not one or two years. Look look what offenses are good this year that we're. Know, we, we thought wouldn't be and vice versa. Um, I, I think it's just important to look at the talent of the running back, see that draft capital, what, what's the team investing. And like you said, take a bunch of shots at them. You know, someone's if Sean Tucker goes to the chiefs in the end of the second, like you take him, you, you know, go ahead, take him in the first round, you know, and let, you know, let one of these other players, let Kenny McIntosh fall to me in the third. Cause no, no one likes him, right? Like, no, he's 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 uh, never been a workhorse. You know, that's fine. So, I, I think that's the thing for me is value. Uh, I I'd rather not overpay for the offense. I'd rather underpay for the draft cap and get the better draft capital. And usually it works out. When we start talking day three running backs, round four, like that's where okay, Damian Pierce is the best running back on the Texans, so I probably should draft him. You know, that that's where I think you can start looking. But I think as long as the guy's going in day two. Teams are going to want to use them if they're good enough to be used. 
Shane, what's your thoughts on some of the running backs like Eric was mentioning? <clears throat> guys that got similar draft capital this year but haven't fired at all. Do you think that, especially if you're building your teams this way, where you know we're big proponents of basically rostering every running back that's living or breathing on an NFL 53-man roster at all times, do you think some of these guys that never fire this year, so, you know, like, for instance, players, Eric already mentioned, like, Zamir White. He mentioned Ty Chandler. There's a bunch of them that were drafted round three, round four, round five this year that you thought we're like, okay, they're an injury or two away from getting a shot, but then the injury didn't happen, but they're still going to be kind of in the same spot. Their team still drafted them, you know, fourth or fifth round. They're on a cheap contract. They're, I mean, I hate to say it, but they're cheap labor at a position where teams don't like to use a lot of draft capital. So if you have a guy that you picked in the fourth or fifth round on a rookie contract, barring that you don't think he just absolutely stinks, you, you think it's smart to actually buy back into guys that are still on those rookie deals year two, year three, like the the Sahas, Hassan Haskins, the Jerome Fords. Like if you can get three of those guys in a trade instead of picking one of these guys that was a third round pick in 2023 or 20, in 2023, what do you think about that? You think it's still okay to go a, a year or two down the road if they didn't do anything as rookies or do you think they're at risk of maybe just getting supplanted? Look, I, I think I think both can be possible. I think it's good to buy into those players. You know, the hit rate's still going to be pretty low, but we've seen plenty of guys that people have left for dead. Um, you know, you take a, a Josh Kelly, right? Who this year kind of he earned that backup job before he got hurt. He was he was getting some fancy points. Like if Eckler went down, it was his job. You could have bought him for a song after his rookie season. Um, you know, that, I think that happens. So I think it could be like Samir White, I think is a good buy opportunity. You're going to be able to buy cheaply. Um, and, you know, even if the Raiders draft someone, I assume they don't resign Josh Jacobs. Zemir White's going to get a shot for that job. Maybe he's not good and doesn't get it, but he's going to get a shot for that job and has the draft capital to do it. You already know what you're kind of getting. So I think it's worth kicking the tires if people are really like hard out on Hassan Haskins, on Zemir White. I think it's worth buying into. That's where I think team situation can be important. Like, unfortunately, Tyron Davis Price is, is buried now with Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. You know, you don't want to buy him, but um, I, I think you can look at some of those fourth round running backs from this past season and take a shot. There's going to be so much running back turnover this year, too, especially with all these new guys coming in. And if we're thinking 15, 16 guys are going to be coming in. And then on top of all the free agent turnover, there's going to be Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders. The list goes on and on with these free agent running backs. So I think it's really hard to kind of like project right now of what, you know, backfields are going to look like. But uh, there's going to be a lot of turnover and there's going to be a lot of places too, like, you know, your favorite landing spot. Oh, you know, Raheem Moster and Jeff Wilson, those guys are going to be great. And then Miami's going to draft somebody or bring in somebody else. You know, they're, some of these guys are actually going to get replaced too. So um, I think that's another thing to keep in mind. There's going to be a ton of running back turnover. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, even guys you didn't mention, like Alex Madison, Devin Singletary, Damian Harris, Daryl Henderson, like this running yeah, back Tony class Pollard, is going to be yep. – yeah, this running back class is going to be very good on the free agent market in terms of the number of names that were probably holding a certain level of value in Dynasty that are going to hit free agency. Compared to last year, you remember last year's free agent running back class, it was like Chase Edmonds was the best one. 
And there's there's 15 Chase Edmonds in this year's free agent class. So like it is going to be interesting to see because it's almost like if you just take all of those guys that are going to hit free agency and throw them in a pool, then you have all these guys that Shane has going in round two through four and just throw them in the mix. Like almost give me as many of those guys as I can get at the cheapest possible. You know, if I can get seven of those 30 to 40 players, I'd rather have that than chase the the one guy that goes to a really good landing spot and I have to pay four picks to move up and get him. I think that's the way I'm going to play it is just play the volume game. And uh, I know we're going to have plenty of roster spots the way we build our teams typically to roster as many of those running backs as possible. So Shane, anybody in this mock that goes in this range, the round two through round four running backs where you go, all right, if they land here, if they land in this range, I, I got to have, I'm going to be a little higher than consensus. Any names stick out to you? Um, you know what? I really like Dwayne McBride, the running back from UAB, you know, 5'11", 215. He, he's only a third-year player. I'm hearing some buzz that he is considering declaring uh, because he, he's getting some good NFL draft buzz. But I think he's the type of, you know, kind of, I don't say Damian Pierce-esque, right? Because it's like, oh, that's what we expect. But he has that kind of compact build that can take a hit, that can run over guys, um, and you know, was used a ton at UAB, but it's just not a big school. I think that people are overlooking. So I think he's really intriguing. I think he can go round two, round three. Um, and then I, I think names to look out for that people could end up lower on because they were backups in college. Mayan Williams at Ohio State, Roshan Johnson at Texas, you know, backing up two of the best running backs in college football, and B. John Robinson, Travion Henderson, people might be like, well, they weren't starters. They're, they can't be a workhorse, whatever. But these are like two talented running backs, Mine Williams is leading Ohio State in rushing, can go between the tackles. He could be a touchdown guy, bye week fill-in, you know, for you. You can get in the third round of a rookie draft. Roshan Johnson, former quarterback, athlete, pass catcher, does everything. You know, I think those are guys where if you get in a spot where you feel like, okay, there's an opportunity here to be added to a platoon to have a role. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think fantasy players are gonna be excited by those three players. I think those are the guys you can go after. Good stuff. Any final thoughts on running backs, Eric, or you want to move on to receivers? Uh, it, just real quick, like the one landing spot that I saw on here that I would love would be Tank Bigsby to L.A. Rams. I mean, I, easily Henderson could be gone. They could just get rid of Akers and it'd just be Kyron and Tank Bigsby there. Sign me up for that if Tank Bigsby lands there. I, I would love that. And then um, interesting one was uh, Eric Gray to the Browns. I think that could be interesting, too. I've, I always liked Eric Gray. Uh, Ray got me onto him. I think that would be an uh, interesting fit because uh, Hunt and Dearness uh, Johnson would be gone. Jerome Ford's. You know, has a different skill set than what Gray could bring, but I could I could see that being an interesting one. Eric Gray behind that offensive line. Yeah, I'm here for it. So a lot's going to change between now and uh, when we actually get to looking at this stuff, uh, you know, solidified. But uh, I think this exercise is good to point out that even if it doesn't happen to the degree Shane has it projected, like this is a class, especially if you have one of those teams that's built to where like you know you're gonna have to replenish your running backs because you do have a, a running back room that has a lot of those guys like Eric mentioned where you're just not sure where they're gonna end up um, I think you can do yourself justice by getting some of those second third even fourth round picks there's gonna be guys that have day two draft capital that for some reason fall to the early fourth and rookie drafts because people just prefer other players over them uh, and you can get some tremendous value there so get get those picks 
uh, trade those roster clogger receivers for those picks if you can. You know, if you can, if you can flip the Paris Campbells for two thirds, you know, you're gonna you're gonna like that down the road because you're going. I don't know if I ever trust Paris Campbell to be anything more than a if I have to play him, I'm in trouble type of player, you know, but, but there might be a window where you can get a couple third round picks for him. And I think that's how you, you take advantage of the market. That's like, I need a guy to start this week. You know, I can trade my Devin Duvernay for a third. It's like, okay, yeah. Instead of starting him, start another wide receiver five and collect another potential running back next year. So good stuff. Especially with fantasy trade deadlines coming up here in the next week or two, a couple weeks, whatever. You know, that's great advice from Scott. Make sure you pile up on those picks. You can get all these guys in in the third round. So I love that advice. Yep. So Shane, we'll go to receivers. Um, I actually I don't think this receiver class is as in, in, intriguing to talk about as the running backs. Uh, but you still have twelve of them going in the first three rounds. And I've been saying it. A lot of people have said this this receiver class is weak. Yet. I think it's an interesting point because the receiver position has never been more valued in the NFL in terms of what they're getting paid, what they're getting traded for. Uh, and your mock, your mock backs that up. You have eight receivers going in the first two rounds. So, I mean, you're pretty confident, even if these guys aren't as good as the past couple receiver classes, the NFL still is going to have to draft receivers in these picks, right? They have to. The, once again, teams, just, there's not enough good receivers in the NFL. We, yeah, there are teams with terrible receivers, right? You need three. You might want four. Um, I think when people say this class is weak, they are disappointed that no one turned into Jamar Chase, that no one turned into you know someone on that level. And that's that's frankly it. I still think we could see a receiver go in the top five, top ten uh, of this draft, maybe multiple, uh, because you do have receivers with those traits. You know, I have Quentin Johnston, the receiver from TCU, going at five to Jacksonville. Probably a little high right now. But when you have a guy that that's as big, long, fast as he is and now has gotten that productivity, like, team's going to take a 6'4", 212 receiver that runs a, a 4'4 flat. They're going to take him high, you know, if he's that good. Um, so I think that's the key here is receivers valued. I think you're still really good players that for fantasy can be very productive, even if we don't have, you know, the elite of elite guy. And quite frankly, usually the elite of the elite guy isn't the only one that turns into that. I mean, no one had Justin Jefferson doing what he's doing, right? So I think you could easily have Jackson Smith, the Jigba, who basically missed the season with a hamstring injury, get drafted in the, in the late teens, 20s, and still turn out to be a really good fantasy receiver. Like that could ha- that could be an outcome there. Yeah, I mean, and people disappointed, but you mentioned you have Johnston going in the top five. You have Jordan Addison going in the top 10. Like, historically, you don't see a lot of receiver classes with multiple receivers going in the top 10. Do you think that is just reflective of teams that are picking in that range or is looking at, and I'm guessing this this past receiver class is probably going to help to seeing what, like, Chris Olave is doing, Garrett Wilson's doing. Like, teams are going to go, okay, if I want one of these guys, I have to use my early first to get them instead of saying, oh, I'll find Michael Pittman, T Higgins, those guys in the second round. Cause it, it feels like that might've been possible a couple years ago, but you may end up having to settle for, you know, the wide receiver seven or eight on the board. If you're not picking until the early mid second round. And at that point, you know, you've missed out. So, I mean, it, it kind of feels like teams are going to go, all right, if I need a receiver, I may have to use my one Oh seven on him. And, 
for Dynasty, we're looking at that draft capital correlation and going a top 10 receiver is a pretty sure bet historically to be pretty good. So I think that's interesting that uh, the, the people say, oh, there's no elite guys, but yet you have two guys going in the top 10. Well, when you look at the teams right now picking in the top 10, I'd say 75% of them don't have enough receivers. Now, a lot of them don't have their pick, you know, that in the first round anymore. But, you know, even those teams that don't have their pick, like they, they're up there because New Orleans doesn't have anyone other than Chris Lave, right? Like, like that's a problem. So I, I think the only solution is to draft the best receivers in this class. And I think, you know, Jordan Addison compares to Devonta Smith right, who, you know, who went pretty darn high. We've had multiple top 10 receivers in the past two years. So I think a top 10 pick for Addison is is very possible. I think a top 10 pick for Johnston is very possible. Um, you know, and quite frankly, like as fantasy people, we're looking at this receiver class, we're like, oh, they've disappointed, they're going to fall. Well, guess what? The edge class is disappointed. The offensive tackle class is disappointed. It's not just the receivers that have disappointed. So we can't say that all these top players that were supposed to be top 10 picks have all fallen out of the top 10. Someone's got to go there. Uh, so I, I think it could be the receivers. That's a more valued position and probably the edge rushers. Those are the guys that are probably going to go up there um, uh, ultimately. So uh, I, yeah, I, I think the death of this receiver class is vastly overblown. And I think we're going to get that correction, especially after the combine, because this uh, this receiver class is going to be super duper athletic, and you know that that's all you need. People spring them right back up. So you have JSN going pick twenty, and you have Jalen Hyatt going at pick twenty three. So those are your four in the first round. Uh, second round, I think people will be surprised to see uh, not Josh Downs, not Kayshawn Boutte, but you have Rasheed Rice going as the number five receiver, and he's. I do think historically, from just from my recollection of Dynasty, uh, that we kind of start looking at those receivers that are early second round picks. We usually put them in one bucket, and then the guys that fall into the back half of the second round, early third round, we put in another bucket. You have Rasheed Rice going right in that range where it's like, if he goes in this range, it will be interesting because the name cachet isn't there, right? Yet, historically, you'd go, that's a borderline first-round dynasty pick. But I guarantee people will be going, oh, yeah, I don't care if Kayshawn Boutte went 25 picks later. I'm taking him over Rasheed Rice in dynasty drafts just because of the name. But talk to me about him because I don't know a lot. But at the same time, like this pick 38 is legitimate. That's a first-round dynasty pick in most years. And I, I think there is an outside chance Rasheed Rice is a first-round NFL draft pick. He's been super productive at SMU. Uh, one of the best route runners in this class, along with, you know, big hands, good leaping ability. Um, you know, he makes that offense really run and he's going to get an opportunity that a lot of our top receivers that we've been talking about, the Keishon Boutes and the Josh Downs don't get. And that's the senior bowl. Rasheed Rice is probably going to be the best receiver in Mobile. Well, we saw what happened with Christian Watson last year. You know, whoever the best receiver in Mobile is, is going to move up the board. Uh, so I think you, you want to start to think about those things as well from, from a dynasty perspective, 6'3", 206, big frame. He, he can just do a lot of those good things. So I, I think it is, you are going to have people, like you said, that are going to say, well, no, I'm taking Keyshawn Boutte um, instead because I know him. And it can it can be a mistake. Um, how many people passed on Jahan Dotson going in the middle of the first round for, you know, for round two receivers or um, dipping down to take take Sky Moore, mm. you know, who we were hyping before. Like, I, I, I think you got to put that draft capital, even if it's a smaller school, even if it's a player you're not familiar with, 
I think it is important to keep in mind. I think Rice is a legitimate, you know, a legitimate talent that has a chance to be like an outside number one type receiver. Anything you noticed in the uh, the second round? We had Rasheed Rice. Then it kind of went, I think, chalk. I mean, Josh Josh Downs to Green Bay at 45. If that happens, he's a top eight dynasty pick, no doubt. I mean, you, you know where how the community would react if that happened. Uh, even Cedric Tillman going to Dallas, I think people would attach themselves to that pretty quickly, that being like, yeah, that's a great landing spot. And then, yeah, Boutte to the Bears. Again, another one where people would go, oh, he steps in right away. He's the alpha, you know, and yeah. – but yet you look at that draft capital and you go, why? And you uh, talk about Boutte. You have him going in the late second, and it feels like it, very few people have him even considered as a first-round pick now. Yet, do you think dynasty managers are going to be a little too slow to react to the fact that he's not the wide receiver one, probably not even one of the top three receivers? in the? It just feels like he's destined to be overdrafted. But I said that about George Pickens, too, and – it has worked out. You know, people are like, couldn't attach them, detach themselves from three years ago with Pickens, but you know, they were smart drafting them where they did. So talk about Boutte quickly. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think Boutte could be that player that like Pickens kind of works out, but we haven't seen him be an elite receiver in college for two years. And that's, that's really tough. Missed a ton of time you know, in 2021. And this season's been, mostly unproductive because of LSU's offense starting to, to get some looks. Now they're starting to utilize him. Um, I, I think the question will just be, can he match up against top talent? He's a talented player. We had on the field. He, he's sloppy, you know, and, and George Pickens, I think was very similar. You know, I wasn't like super high on him um, because of that. NFL teams might drop Boutte because of that. And it could be a mistake. Um, so I, I think, but my guess is he's gonna be he's gonna go too high for me to take him. Like I, I'd rather, like you said, take someone lower down, trade down, get a pick next year, and draft someone with higher draft capital anyway. When you're mocking these receivers, do you sometimes ding players for draft capital if they are like I notice everybody you have in round three um, is that they're they're fourth or fifth year receivers. Do you typically limit the ceiling on a receiver if they've played in college like four or five years? Is that something that you are cognizant of when you're doing this? Because I know Zay Flowers, a lot of people like Zay Flowers, but I do see people all the time going, I question his ceiling. He could have come out last year. He didn't. And I know dynasty managers are a little biased against guys that have played in college for four or five years. Is that something that comes to mind when you're projecting draft capital? Yeah, not not too much. I know it's kind of happened in this mock, um, but I think it's more of a fantasy thing than a reality thing. Now, I do think more NFL teams have bigger analytics departments. They're getting bigger. And I think a lot of them are saying, hey, if you want, you know, if you want a guy that's going to be a stud, you want someone that's declaring early if if it lines up. Um, So I do think we could see a, a Zay Flowers. I think his range is big. It could be late first round. If he if he blows up, you know, all star circuit and combine, it could be round three, round four. He's a small, fast receiver that has production, but you know that might be it. Um, so so yeah, you know, I think I think this early, I'm hedging my bets a little bit with some of those players. I would imagine we see some of these round three guys. Maybe it's a Flowers, maybe it's Andre Yasivas, who I talked about um, that you know could pop up into the second round with a good off season. Um, but you know, the third round right now, they haven't flashed like Rasheed Rice has top end talent and Cedric Tillman, you know, ha- have that kind of production. Then I think it's tough to take those players that high. 
Two more names on your on, on your radar that I've noticed have fallen big time since the summer. Uh, Marvin Mims, you have going down in the fourth round. Um, and then uh, the other one that I noticed had fallen was Rakeem Jarrett. I know you had him, I think, in the top 50, top 55 at the beginning of the season. And both of those guys have fallen down into day, early day three range. And I know if you look at this, these these Debbie mocks, like they still go in round two, round three, you know, they had the production from a couple of years ago that people are still attached to, but sounds like the signaling is we probably shouldn't be uh, too hopeful for them from a dynasty perspective. If they're down in this range. I think they're two of the harder receivers to project. Like neither have had a bad season production wise, but I don't think either have done anything for me to say, wow, this guy is a great NFL player. You know, Oklahoma system, Marvin Mims, like is the guy, and he's open. He's he's fast, but he he's small, and I think it's I think it's a problem. He's not super quick. Um, he's not a route runner. Like I think there's just a lot of negative check marks on the scouting report that NFL teams are gonna be like, eh, if he declares, I think I'd rather take some of these four or five year receivers that are cleaner. Um, you know, Raheem Jarrett. You know, Maryland's offense just spread the ball around a lot. Once again, could blow up the combine. And then we're like, eh, you know, maybe, maybe now day two, he's back into that mix. Um, but he, you know, I think both those guys are strong candidates to go back to school. And that, that's where it struggles with a mock at this point. What do you do with those guys that I think will go back to school? But I, I'm not going to pick and choose. I'll never, I will never get everyone right. Um, so I think, Hey, if they do declare, that could be year three guys that drop a little bit that shouldn't have declared essentially. Cool. Eric, do you have any questions on the, the receivers? Anything that stood out to you? Uh, the only one that kind of stood out to me a little bit. I mean, I know it's, you know, trying to pick spots right now is a little difficult, but, uh, Jalen Hyatt to the giants, um, you know, he's a fast slot receiver type, but, you know, they kind of drafted Wandale Robinson in that mold, you know, last year. Do you think Hyatt and, and Wandale could, could work together in that giant system like that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think we've seen Hyatt, uh, you know, this season take some of the slot snaps when Cedric Tillman got hurt. And we really, when we saw Hyatt break out, they started to play him on the outside. So I think teams could project, Hyatt as kind of a weapon to move around the formation. I think Brian Dabble's been able to do that, did that in Buffalo a bit. Um, still have Wandell be that primary Cole Beasley slot receiver, let Hyatt be on the outside stretching the field a little bit. Um, I think that's a possibility. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a fit that could be a little bit wonky. I think it's tough because I think it's going to be a huge need for the Giants. Right now they're picking pretty late. They're not going to get the top guys. And that's where someone like Hyatt fits in. He's kind of... He's going to be that receiver that goes in the first round that the fantasy owners just hate, right? There's always that guy that carries Tony, the like, uh, you know, we, we don't really want this player. I feel like Hyatt's going to be that player because he is downfield catch, you know, catch deep passes, and that that's never good for PPR. But um, but but you know, he's he's a weapon and a player I did not expect to be here anywhere near here going yeah, into he's the season. Had a tremendous season. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have you have him and Tillman both going in the top fifty-five. Are, are the same? Cons- I mean, educate us a little bit. Are this are the concerns the same that people might have on Hendon Hooker with the Tennessee receivers? Is that kind of the same thing? Is it viewed the same way? Do you think from an NFL perspective, or are the receivers different? I think the receivers are a little bit different. Um, you know, because you do get a little more of a route tree still in the high offense from the receivers. You know, there's a lot of underneath stuff. There's a lot of mesh, um, but you know, it, it's 
it's not as pre-scripted for the receivers or what they're doing more for the play. So the quarterback has less decisions to make, but the receivers are still kind of running the same things. So the defense doesn't know what that decision is. So you actually get to see a nice variety. I think it's why we've seen some Tennessee receivers go fairly highly in the NFL draft the past couple of years in Josh Palmer and in Velas Jones, um, because, you know, you're actually getting a decent amount of routes from them, even if the ball's not coming their way or never going to come their way. Um, and so, so that, that intrigues me. I think the NFL is going to continue to like that system for receiver. Good stuff. All right. We'll spend a couple minutes, then we'll end this and get to America's favorite game. But uh, I have to say, I mean, you have six tight ends going in the top three rounds. I mean, and I know I'm a big proponent of, tight ends and it's interesting Eric and I are going to do a future episode before the end of this year looking at this 2022 tight end class because I think it's it's kind of changed the way that I'm going to start scouting the tight ends from a perspective of and and let me know your thoughts on this Shane maybe it's just how kind of bad the tight end landscape is right now in the NFL that we've allowed some of these rookies to come in and it's like damn two good games and we've had four rookie tight ends be top 12 or better tight ends multiple weeks. And you're going, I would have never seen that coming. Typically it was, even if a tight end got decent draft capital and they had a good RAS score, like I didn't expect them to ever get to a point where it's like, you know, our, our high stakes redraft leagues, we're picking them up and starting them. You know what I mean? But this year it's like, man, I got Kate Otten. I have the tight end seven on the week and I'm excited to play him. You're going, no way. I would have never told you. We'd have five rookie tight ends that we're talking. We're literally talking about if Bellinger comes back, we're literally talking about five rookie tight ends throughout the rest of this fantasy season where we could be like our top 15 startable weekly options. And that's just insane to me, you know, between likely McBride, Bellinger, Dulcich and Otten. You're like, I would have never guessed that, but teams are putting them on the field like right away. And, you know, they're like, yeah, we have we can find a place for this guy and we know how little it takes to be a a tight end producer in this landscape. I mean, so what's your thoughts on the tight end class? Is it changing how you scout it a little bit from a not from an NFL perspective, but a dynasty perspective? Are you going to look at these guys a little differently, Shane? Are you still being cautious? I'm still going to be a little bit cautious, but yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm more in if you have an athletic tight end who is more NFL ready, like. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like there's not enough good tight ends in the NFL. So anyone that's athletic, I mean, I'm starting Greg Dulcich every week. I'm like, this is, this is, this is usually great. Like most weeks have been pretty good. Um, I think this 23 class can do similarly if the landing spots are enough to get some playing time. Like, I think it's there. I think you have some athletic, older experienced tight ends. You have some younger guys that have big size, and going to have big RAS scores. Um, so it, it's really interesting to pre- try to predict um, how it goes. And I think there's so many tight end needy teams. I definitely have more teams that need tight ends. That I was like, man, you could take one in the second or third round than tight ends to give. I know we went back and forth on, uh, I hopped over in the draft countdown uh, discord and I asked you about Michael Mayer and I go, Shane, I'm concerned about Michael Mayer because everyone literally has him as a legit like top six, top eight Debbie player in the class. And I said, even if he goes in the first round, I'm concerned about his athleticism. And you, I think you replied back like three sentences and you're kind of like, I, he has really no incentive to expose any more of his athleticism than he needs to because he's still going in the top 20. He's still going to be a locked in first round. I assume you still feel this way. You have him going 
pick 14 to Green Bay, and that would be one of those where, you know, that that's a top that's easy a top 10 pick in every format pretty much. So talk about Michael Mayer and your your thoughts on he may not go to the combine and may not even have a full Raz card because what's the point, right? He doesn't need it. Yeah, I'll actually be more surprised <laughs> if he has a Raz card, if he has a number at the end of the year at all, um, which, you know, could be good and bad for us because uh, I think we've had a lot of those players, a like Pat Fryermuth, for example, people questioned, didn't work out, and has had decent production. I think it's a fair comparison for Michael Mayer. You know, he's been one of the most productive tight ends um, that we've seen from a, a three-year career perspective in college football and is is a mismatched nightmare. Is he athletic enough to go up against NFL linebackers and safeties? You know, I'm not sure. It's definitely, I think, the big question. I think it's what stops him from being a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Um, but ultimately, the production against big-time schools in the red zone, middle of the field, seam routes, um, doing some of those, you know, Jason Witten-type option routes, you know, he, he's so good at that. And I think NFL teams are just going to eat up. He can block. He can catch. Like, I, I want him on my team. What does that mean for fantasy? I don't know if it's going to be production, you know, that's going to get you a tight end one, but there's a chance he doesn't work out and we're wrong. He's more athletic than we thought. And he's more George Kittle, Travis Kelsey than we thought. And, you know, you could really miss out. So if you had to pick right now, let's just say he does get this draft capital and we don't get the full RAS card. So we're kind of flying blind, right? But you're also looking at, we know how big of an advantage it is, even if you have a Dallas Goddard or someone like that. Like relative to what most people are starting weekly, it's such a big advantage if you hit on one of those guys. How, how do you reconcile making one of those picks? Because I remember when you had to pick Hawkinson or Fant, you usually had to pick a top 10 pick. I look back, there were some drafts that had enough tight end premium where I took them over A.J. Brown. I took them over D.K. Metcalf. And I'm like, from a logistical perspective, I don't mind having T.J. Hawkinson or Noah Fant. But from a value perspective, I probably wasted a nice window where – I, I didn't need to take them over DK Metcalf or AJ Brown. I would have much rather had the receiver because I w- had many more options in value wise over the next couple of years to get to that point that I have right now with TJ Hawkinson. So like, where are you at on if this all shakes out with mayor, no Raz card doesn't test goes in the top 20. Like how high do you take him in? Just let's say a standard 1.5 premium draft. Um, yeah, I, I think in a standard 1.5, I, I, I think I start looking, I think 10, I think 10, it becomes good, right? I, you know, I'm going to take the top running backs, and top receivers, and then, you know, where I have those early day, round two players, I'm going to consider against him. Um, you're right. You're, you're probably, you are going to miss out. If you take him, there's going to be a receiver, a running back picked after him that will have more value. There's also going to be a lot of running backs, receivers picked after him that will end up sucking you know michael mayer's probably not going to completely suck so it's basically a safety pick you know you're picking i think i think there's a safe floor and it just depends how risky you need to be with that pick i think i'll have teams where i'll take them and i think i'll have teams where i'll pass and take a receiver i think a lot of team construction is going to play into what that looks like but 10 11 12 and tight end premium i think he's going to be an asset and honestly I would expect him to go a little higher. I, I think in, you know, FFPC, we're in some dynasties. I think he's going to be fifth, sixth, seventh off the board in some of those one QB leagues. Yeah. I mean, I look back at where Friar Muth went. He was going pretty religiously outside of the top 15. And, you know, you probably would rather have him over the 
you know, probably even over the even Rondale Moore or Kadarius Tony at this point in terms of the positional advantage. But then there were some other receivers that got drafted there too, where you're going like, man, I wish I would have just taken Fryermuth instead. So uh, Darnell Washington, he's your other first round tight end. Uh, kind of the polar opposite of Michael Mayer, right? Like never productive, never the best tight end on his team, but I mean, uh, a physical Marvel, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, I don't know if Darnell Washington goes in round one, but I do think NFL team is going to look at a 6'7", 270, blocks like an offensive tackle, who when you watch is like literally in the right position to catch the football on a lot of his routes. Uh, you know, he's just a weapon that's so unique that someone's going to take him, I think, higher than the production says. Maybe 27th overall where I have him is a little high. But I, I could see a team saying – now we're not going to get another shot at a guy like this. Um, and I think it's not a Jelani Woods situation where you have kind of a raw prospect who's like wavering of doing good at one, good at the other, but not really great at both at the same time. I think Washington's legitimately good at both of those things, but has the best tight end in college football on his team in Brock Bowers and, you know, is a running Georgia team. Um, so I think we could see top 50 draft capital from Darnell Washington. And I, th- I think he becomes the intriguing if, if that happens, if he's tight end two, what do you do with kind of a unicorn like this that we really haven't seen and might not be good for fantasy, um, but could if the offense works around him? Yeah, he will definitely be one that the analytics community will go, that's a wasted pick. But I, in some of my research on looking at RAS score and college production and the correlation, it's college production in terms of like actual college production at receiver is a little overrated. A lot of it is situational. You get, you get guys that right now are hitting in the NFL and you're going like they never produced in college, but what, but why was it? You know, like I remember Dawson Knox never produced in college at all, but he gets to the NFL. And I mean, Dawson Knox isn't great, but he was handed a starting role in year two and he's gotten a massive contract extension. The team clearly goes, all right, this guy's good enough to be our number three or number four option. But in college, you would have been like, yeah, he was the number four option. So what, you know, what, how, why did he work out? Yet you have other tight ends that dominated. A guy I love, Charlie Kohler, dominated for three years. And you're going like, he's not even the best rookie tight end on his team. You know, like it's, it's weird. It doesn't, you can't just follow production and be like, it's going to happen in the NFL. There's always like a disconnect in terms of what teams view and who they're going to give targets to. So he will be a very interesting prospect, I think. Yeah, and I, I think tight end is that position too. Like a Daniel Bellinger, I wrote off at the beginning of the year. I was like, this guy's a blocking tight end. That's all he does. And then you see the combine, you see the senior bowl, and you're like, why did they ever throw to him? What, what, what were you doing? You know, I, I think Darnell Washington's that player. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's see. Well, round two, you had a couple other tight ends in here. I think these are going to be uh, some names that people haven't heard of, but I know Tucker Craft and uh, Dalton Kincaid you have in round two, which I think historically you look at this range and you say tight ends that are second round dynasty picks uh, tend to come from this like second and third round NFL range. Uh, But a lot of times these are the guys that fall through the cracks. You know, a guy like Dalton Kincaid goes middle of the second round in the NFL draft. If people don't like him, if he's not hyper athletic, could fall to the third round of dynasty drafts. Because that's how we people treat the position. And you saw it this year. That's why this year's rookie class at tight end is fascinating. Because you were getting, other than probably Dulcich, you were getting a lot of the other tight ends in round three and round four. 
And they weren't even the ones people were drafting. People were taking Jelani Woods as tight end two off the board. And so, like, there's some value here. You may find a starting tight end. So does it change? I'll ask Eric this, but what are your thoughts on some of these round two, round three tight ends? Are they better equity picks, Shane, than taking every single running back that's living and breathing? You think maybe that's starting to become a viable strategy if they fall? Yeah, I love like late three into four. I love drafting tight ends. Like I was drafting the Bellingers. I was drafting Isaiah Likely, like Charlie Kohler, right? You don't hit on all of them. You don't have to. Like you hit on one, I can drop. They're easy drops if they're third, fourth on the depth chart or get cut or whatever. But especially in this class, if you have someone like Dalton Kincaid, Luke Musgrave from Oregon State are going to have high RAS scores that have production, um, but – people just don't buy in because it's a tight end take you know take that quick shot if you have the space they're, they're great guys to stash you have a taxi squad dump them on there for two years forget about them like i think tight ends are a position where you can load up uh and get them super cheap and you'll you'll find one emerge and it's worth every pick you make i see you have jaheem bell going pick 81 my only question for you is jaheem bell and actually a tight end chain <laughs> He should be. Uh, South Carolina doesn't seem to think so when they keep handing him the football for no no reason. Like I don't know what Jaheim Bell is. Um, I don't know if he, you know he's this like H back receiver tight end um, hybrid. I think Jaheim Bell's good. Like I think he's a really good football player um, who's clearly frustrated. His mom has shared it on Twitter. Uh, is clearly frustrated with what's happened in South Carolina the past two years. Um, I think he's going to work out tremendously. I think teams are going to, when you watch the film, especially last year, but uh, when they were running him on routes, he was wide open so many times, wide open all the time. He gets open and no one throws him the football. Football doesn't come close to him. Um, so I think he's going to be one of those film, you know, film guys. That's intriguing to me. I, I wonder if he just transfers and tries somewhere else. But uh, if he comes out in this class, I think round three into round four is a possibility and could going to be a guy I'll probably draft a lot in round four of my rookie drafts. Do tight ends that come in at like 6'2", 6'3", or under, did those concern you from an NFL perspective? Because I know historically it's really hard to see a tight end, especially if their RAS score is a little bit lower because obviously height factors into their RAS score. He, he gives me and maybe this is just being a snob in terms of the physical comparison, but he, he feels to me like a, maybe a lesser version, but maybe slightly more athletic version of like a John U. Smith type. It, does that concern you at all when you start drafting these like six, one, six, two tight ends? Cause I've found NFL teams are very hesitant to give a guy like that a full snap share. Cause they, they pigeonhole him in a role and they're like, we got to have another guy out there. That's more of a traditional tight end. And it, not that you can't be good, but when I see tight ends and it's like they're only playing 55, 60% of the snaps, it's really hard to be good for fantasy. You have to be like Evan Ingram level athletic to where it's like you're basically just a receiver. You know, if that's a guy like that's one of the few that can run less than 60% of the snaps, but still be fantasy relevant. Does that concern you at all when you see some of these guys that are tweeners? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think it's a concern mostly because, like you said, NFL teams, I drafted a tight end. I, I'm going to teach you how to block. I'm like, yeah, everything shouldn't be blocking anybody, you know? And if a team takes Jaheim Bell and sticks him in there to block in line, he's, it's a wasted pick for them, for us, for everybody. If, if you take those players and utilize their strengths, then I think good things can happen. So I think when I have a smaller tight end, 
that's where I'm who drafted them. What's the offensive philosophy? Have I seen them use small tannins effectively? If not, then yeah, I'm definitely concerned. Eric thoughts on any of the tight ends. No, you, you kind of took my thunder with the Jaheim Bell stuff. I'm just hoping he's not like the next Jalen Samuels or something like that. But uh, no, that, good stuff on the tight ends. Liked it. Yeah, we'll do a deep dive on tight ends in the offseason. I know one guy that I, I really rode off was Kylan Granson because for the same reasons, like he's super small. And I'm like, there's no way a, a guy that's 6'1 or 6'2 and sub 250 pounds is, is just going to work out. But you know, as you see these guys continue to earn more targets and earn more snaps, maybe teams are evolving. That'll be something they will have to kind of challenge that teams might evolve. Teams are using tight ends differently. Even a couple years ago, it used to be Shane said he likes drafting tight ends in round three, round four. That used to be where you draft the tight end and you go, Shane, how long am I going to have to hold this guy? You know, I'm gonna have to hold him four years before he even sees the field, but maybe that's changing. Maybe that, that type of narrative is changing where we can draft and get the only thing worse than missing on a guy in the third or fourth round is missing on him after you've held the roster spot for four years and then cutting him. At least with a running back, like if, if you can't even make the 53 man roster, then I, I cut you in dynasty tight end. You're like, man, that Charlie Kohler, you see his production. He had a really high risk score. let me hang on to him until 2026. Then I'll cut him. You know, if he hasn't had a target mm-hmm. since then. So I don't know, maybe that's changing. I don't know if you guys have any final thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's tough, uh, especially when if you have a league that doesn't have a ton of spots and you can't hold guys. Um, that that is the downside. I'm, I I think it might be changing, just with the polish and athleticism of some of these tight ends is getting better. Uh, I think college teams are recognizing the mismatch than just he's a blocker that I'm putting in there. But you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from here. Yeah, my last episode of Destination Dynasty, I talked about roster construction with tight end. And I think if you're if you're just in a start one, 1.5 premium, you, you do have to be cognizant of how many of these guys you draft. I mean, you don't want to end up on a team where 30 are your roster spots and you have seven tight ends. And you're waiting on five Charlie Kohlers, you know, and you're just kind of sitting there waiting. You'd rather probably turn the, those roster spots over with other positions instead of sitting on so many tight ends, so... We'll end it there. Um, just everybody check it out again. Uh, the latest mock draft at draftcountdown.com 2023 mocks. Uh, fascinating because if you take uh, just the ranges that we look at from Dynasty, we had four quarterbacks, 17 running backs, 12 wide receivers, and six tight ends. So if I do my math right, that's 39 potentially relevant skill players that Shane has mocked. And I, I'll just say that if, th- if anything close to this happens, it's going to be a fun rookie draft season. So uh, Eric, you want to get into America's favorite game to close us out? Yeah, let's do it. So the one that I came up with for this week is what is your favorite draft moment? It could be your personal team, your favorite team, or just a moment that you, you know, still remember to this day. Ooh, Ooh yeah, that's a good one. I mean, you got your topic, so you knew it before Shane and I. You got one, Eric? Yeah, I went with the uh, personal favorite for being a Browns fan. Just the the way that I felt when it happened is, I want to say it was, uh, I don't know, 07 or 06 when they drafted Joe Thomas. I kind of wanted Adrian Peterson, but Joe Thomas is a Hall of Famer, so that worked out. And then they traded back up 
to go get Brady Quinn when we needed the quarterback. And I just, uh, I remember that one. That was a, a draft that I absolutely loved, even though Brady Quinn didn't really work out. But uh, as a Browns fan, that was probably my favorite draft moment. Shane, you like, got one? Yeah, like I'll give mine just a general draft. Moment, but um, <clears throat> 2003, when the Vikings, for the second year in a row, ran the clock out on their first round pick and got skipped. They were trying to make a trade with the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens, I think, were trying to trade up for Byron Leftwich and got skipped. Jacksonville ran up, picked Leftwich. Carolina ran up, picked Jordan Gross. Uh, and then the Vikings, like, we got to turn in a pick and took Kevin Williams, who ended up being pretty good. But I remember, like, everyone just collectively losing their mind. Like, how are you an NFL team? Second year in a row, you got skipped on your first round selection um, is wild. I, I almost think of the NFL now, they would not like let that happen. Like they just hold it and let you pick. But I remember, I remember just everybody just losing their minds. That was uh, that was a fun, fun, wild draft to watch. Yeah. That was a good one too. I think my favorite is, and it's one that I was really little. I watched every draft with my dad back until probably since I was like four or five years old, but I, I, I've watched the clip a million times. It's the, uh, I believe it's when the Jets took Blair Thomas in 1990 and that the Mel Kuyper uh, reaction of like, the Jets don't know what they're doing. I think there's a, the famous clip of him saying that uh, there's been a couple of those historically with, uh, with Mel Kuyper being very boisterous on the, uh, yeah, the on, main, the main one was when he did it with the Colts and the, then yeah, the Colts, the Colts GM too. came in like, who the hell is Mel Kuyper? Yeah. 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 That one too. There's been a couple of those historically with Mel Kuyper, but then the other one, uh, I I still I'm not a Browns fan, but I still remember the Johnny Manziel drama during the yeah, draft oh, yeah, too. Yeah. They passed on him, and then it was like they're they're trading back up to get him, and it was like I, I a couple Browns fan friends called me, and they're like, "It's happening!" You know, oh my god, it's happening! I'm pretty sure you probably felt the same way, Eric. Like the oh, fact yeah, you I ended up getting excited, him yeah. was was so exciting. And uh, and if you look back on that draft, because that was the 2014 draft with all the stud wide receivers that ended up being studs. Like that whole first round, it's like twenty four of them ended up being like um, going Pro Bowl, pretty much. And two of Browns had two first round picks. It was fucking Justin Gilbert, who's out of the league in like three years, and Manziel too. So they completely just whiffed. Thanks, Ray Farmer. Yeah, and I remember being with a crowd of Browns fans when they drafted Brandon Whedon too, and it was that was one of those where it was. It, it, everyone was glad they got a quarterback, but then it was like, oh, this quarterback, man, he's almost yeah. 30 years old. What are we, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. cool. Well, good stuff. Uh, Shane, thanks for coming on. Uh, we already plugged the site and everything, but uh, floor is yours. Say anything you want to say. It'd be a pretty decent uh, exposure for people that might not have heard your work. So go ahead, man. Thanks for coming on. No, I look, thanks for having me. I love talking to you guys. Love talking draft, but if you want to see, more from me on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam podcast. Subscribe to Debbie Marketplace for uh, my Debbie and, and Dynasty podcast with uh, Kane Fassell and uh, Michael Nelson. And then uh, the Draft Countdown podcast. You can find Riga podcasts if you want the NFL draft stuff um, where my managing partner, Brian Bassarge, and I break everything down. He'll be at the Senior Bowl. He lives in Mobile. So he'll be first you know, first up with all that. So um, definitely give us a, a listen and, and send me any questions you have. Happy to answer them. Are you uh, going to the Senior Bowl? I am probably not this year, but uh, some hopes if some things work out, maybe maybe in a year. So um, we'll see what happens. But uh, unfortunately, not this year. But uh, I need to get back because it's so much fun. Good stuff. 
Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on again, Shane. Great stuff. Uh, Shane's one of the best in terms of talking NFL draft, but like he's also playing Dynasty with us at the same time. That That's quite rare in this space to have people that can wear both hats. So thanks again to Shane for coming on. Uh, Eric, you want to go ahead and close this out? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just make sure you guys check out draftcountdown.com. Like, like I said, I've gone there for many, many years back to my my high school days. So always a good uh, website to see mock drafts and, and get some good data on there. So make sure you guys check them out. And uh, yeah, you can follow me at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter and you can follow the show at America's game pod as well on Twitter. And just make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast on destination Debbie feed there. You know, follow us all on Twitter, follow the shows on Twitter, all the other um, Destination Debbie podcasts that we have out every single day, pretty much a new podcast every day that comes out on the feed. You know, just check those guys all out, all, all good stuff that we're providing for you. So go ahead, Scott. No, I echo the same thing. I uh, appreciate Shane coming on. You can find me at Charles Chill FFB. Uh, another uh, roster construction episode on Destination Dynasty coming next Monday. Uh, we'll be talking running backs, so it'll it's perfect timing to follow America's game because we we kind of got into the running backs this year, and I think this class is only going to kind of heighten that strategy of, you know, any running back that's on a depth chart you're going to be interested in. So I'll talk about roster construction and running backs uh, on Destination Dynasty. So appreciate everybody. Uh, once again, check out everybody on the feed. Subscribe to the news newsletter, which is allgas.beehive.com. Subscribe, put in your email. Uh, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you, everybody.